written to some uh, first and second generation Christians, primarily second generations by this time, um, Christians who were ethnically Jews and Jewish by faith, um, who discovered the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and followed him um, in fulfillment of God's word in the Old and New Testament. And uh, it was hard times for them. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. But I thought it would be appropriate to, to consider what the Spirit moved uh, to be written down as God's holy word to a people in a time of trial and tribulation. The future is out there. Yeah. Right? It's coming. It, it's here. And it's different than uh, we anticipated. If we'd have been handed a menu, it's different than what we probably would have chosen to order for our future. But it, it's tempting for us today to say, there be dragons, right? And, and to see all the things that, that could attack us or go wrong or challenge us or limit us or infect us and, and to enter the future, to enter today and the days ahead with fear of the unknown. But I want us to be able to say today that we are committed to a new day without fear. And I want to encourage you that we find strength and guidance in God's holy word. So I want to read to you, I want us to read together today's passage, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can man do to me and if your version of the NIV looks different than that or you're, you're looking at an online version and the wording is slightly different um, if my memory serves correct, in 2014, the New International Version was updated. And so all, everything you can find online for the NIV is the updated version. And this passage um, goes back before that. The wording of this passage is the New International Version, but before the final update. And this is, in the end of verse 6, there was one of those verses that was updated. So minor difference, um, it means the same. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So let's look at the first of fourth four great truths that are revealed in this passage to us. The first truth is the contentment of His, of God's provision. The contentment of His provisions. And it's there in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Oh, to be content with what we have. Um, we can consume our days and change our personalities and our spirits, always longing for something else. Or we can live in contentment. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Elsewhere in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You want great gain in your life? Live as a follower of Jesus Christ and be content with what He gives you. That's, that is great gain according to God's Word. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the words again of the Apostle Paul, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ. Who gives me strength? What a good word. Uh, life has its ups and downs. Um, and and uh, one of the ways it has ups and downs is, is with the resources that we have at our disposal, with our finances and things that that can get us. So Paul had decided that he could do everything, again, through Christ, as an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, he chose to be blessed. He'd been hungry. He'd been full, like, for seasons of his life with plenty or little he chose to claim victory that i can do everything through christ who gives me strength whether there's a lot of food in the pantry or no food in the pantry jesus is still lord and his spirit has still been poured out upon us the church and we can still live with our strength in him the second truth in this passage is the companionship of his presence. Back in Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Easy to say. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, why can we be content with what we have? Whether we think it's much or whether we think it's little, why can we be content with what we have? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never. No. Not ever. No. Never. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. The words of Jesus Christ speaking to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. In that day, through the culture that Jesus said these words, uh, to be invited into somebody's home was more than just a meal, more than just a visit. To be invited into somebody's home to their supper table was a commitment, a two-way commitment. It was a commitment by the, the homeowner that I have your back. I promise to protect you and to represent your best interests in my sphere of influence. And it was a commitment by the person who came into the home. I have your back. I commit to care for you and to have your best interests in mind in my sphere of influence. So it, it was a substantial thing then. Uh, we're, I, I believe, in general, more casual about having somebody over. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have a good time. We, we break bread together. We, you know... We used to. Um, maybe someday we will again, but you know what I'm saying. We all got a history back there, you know, pre-COVID-19 where we did stuff like that. Um, but it was a big deal then. So, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who, who came because God the Father sent God the Son to earth to be the sacrifice that could provide forgiveness for our sins. Jesus who did that, who was faithful, lived without sin, went to the cross, shed His blood, and gave His life to be our Savior. Um, 
what's he doing now? Is he like his work done and he's kicking back in a recliner, um, the right hand of the Father in the throne room in heaven? I do believe he's at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven. Scripture tells us that. But Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is actively initiating relationship with us. Whether we have yet come to faith in him, saving faith in him or not. Jesus is reaching out. Jesus is initiating relationship. Um, and, and the way this is phrased in the original language, um, I stand at the door and knock. I am standing at the door and I am knocking. Always in the present tense. Always actively engaged. That's what Jesus is doing. He's seeking us out. He's seeking our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers. If anyone, there's no exception there. There's no subscript with, with a little note in the back except you, loser. There's nothing like that. If anyone, there's no exception. Jesus is for everybody. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, so we have to choose to recognize him, and we have to choose to let him in. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So, Jesus is actively engaging us, actively initiating relationship and promising without exception when we let him in, when we respond in faith, he's coming in. And he will come in and share the intimate moments of life in a way that he has our back, that he does for us that which brings blessing into our lives for now and forever. And so... We have contentment, the contentment of his provision, and we have companionship, the companionship of his presence. Jesus is near. As we prepare to move to the third great truth, I want to read this passage again. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The third truth is the confidence of His promise. I want you to Let's focus now on these four words in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Um, because God has said. Why do we believe this? Why do we have confidence in this? Why do we base our life on this? Because God has said. It literally says in the original language, He Himself has said. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. God Himself has said. God promises us. It is God Himself who promises us in verse 5, never will I leave you. Who's never going to leave us? God is never going to leave us. Never will I forsake you. Who will never forsake us? God will never forsake us. Who says... I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It is the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. This is the confidence of His promise. 
when I waver, when I don't have the strength to face this new day that has come upon me without me asking for it, the future arrives and it's not what I anticipated or what I had ordered. The omnipotent, meaning the all-powerful God, answers me. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when I say I am afraid of what I have to go through in the days ahead, the omnipresent, the all-present God answers me and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when I don't even know what to do, (laughs) as I enter into the future, the omniscient, the all-knowing God answers me and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So listen, beloved. God himself has said it. No, not ever. No, never will I leave you. The year was 1988. Lucy was raising our toddler daughter at home and providing daycare for a child or two, depending on the week. I was an associate pastor for evangelism and visitation church in Ontario, California. I was working full-time as an electronic engineering technician and finishing up Bible college. So life was busy. Lucy was pregnant and healthy until one day, about halfway through the pregnancy, she began to have pain and contractions. We went to the hospital where she was seen by our OBGYN doctor and after being examined she was put in a room she was put in a labor room and I asked the doc why are we in here and he said we're just keeping her under observation this really vague answer that was less than satisfactory to us he came to check on her And then he left the room, and I could hear him talking around the corner after he left the room. And so I went over there and stood just out of sight by the corner so I could eavesdrop on um, what he was saying. And he was giving instructions to the nurses. And he told them some things that he hadn't told us. Lucy had been pregnant with twins, and one of the twins had died. And he expected her to go into labor and expel the other child as well. That's usually what happens. Um, We were definitely in the midst of circumstances that were bigger than us, um, out of our control. So we prayed, and I wondered why he had not told us more. Lucy continued to carry the other child, and we eventually went home from the hospital. And the the church gathered around us. The due date was September 20th. And many 
in the church began to pray that the baby would make it to the due date. That was the prayer, that the baby would make it to the due date, or some prayed that the baby would make it to uh, September 20th. Many, um, as Lucy was on bed rest for the next three and a half months, many brought meals, others came over and cleaned. Uh, The doctor's appointments were more frequent. And when, when we continued to ask him about what had happened, all he would say was we should focus on the healthy baby that Lucy was carrying. That's all he would say. And one month before the due date, um, based upon his examination, the baby was big and healthy, and the doctor took Lucy off bed rest and said that once now that she's off bed rest, the delivery should happen soon, like, you know, 24 hours. So um, our son was born um, about a month later, 9 pounds, 7 ounces on Due date, September 20th, 1988. September 19th. Somebody messed my sermon notes up. Holy cow. <laughs> September 19th, 1988. <laughs> Only at an appointment after our son's birth would the doctor talk about losing the other child? Um, Lucy had to deliver the baby by C-section, and I almost got kicked out. I was in there, um, in the room, and they wanted me to stay up at the head of the bed, you know, and they they said it was, you know, to comfort my wife, and I'm sure that's part of it, but they didn't want me to go on the other side of that little curtain to see what was coming out you know, besides the living baby. And and um, so I tried a couple times to go down there. And at the time, as an electronic engineering technician, I scrubbed up and went into brain surgeries to test electronic equipment in the surgical environment. So I'd seen people with, you know, their head sitting over, you know, their skull sitting over here. And so I'm like, oh, I got this. And this... this um, nurse that looked like she probably had 35 years experience she's like this tall but she she would have won if we went at it she would have won and she she told me I was going to stay up at the head of the table or she's going to escort me out of the room so I I stayed up there and you know once the doctor told us all this then it made a lot more sense and I was thankful that I didn't get myself invited out of the room entirely um, before I complied but it was at this appointment after the birth when the doctor finally would talk about losing the other child. And he, he said that it was touch and go for the rest of the pregnancy and that Lucy's emotional state could tip the balance. And so he was not going to reveal or talk about the child that didn't make it because that could be the difference. And so he knew more than we knew. He saw ahead in a way that we didn't see ahead. And even though we thought at the time and by we, I mean me, um, that we weren't satisfied with the limited amount of information that we had. It was for our own good, for, for my child's good. Um, he wanted us to focus on what we had. The confidence of his promise. 
Um, I think this is what God is saying to us. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. There's the companionship with God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And there's the confidence because God has said, He Himself has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So, it's not just me saying that. It's God saying that. It's the Word of God to us. No, not ever. No, never will God leave you or forsake you. One of the early symbols of the Christian faith before the cross was a symbol of the Christian faith was the anchor, like a ship anchor. And so um, choose to anchor yourself to the promise of God. Refuse to be moved. Hang on tight. Never let go. You and I can go into this new day, into the future as it is now, with this promise that God is with us. And we have the comfort of His protection. The final great truth that I want to look at today in this passage is the comfort of His protection. Because when you have His contentment, and when you have His companionship, and when you have His confidence, then you'll have His comfort and His courage. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we say with confidence. What's the conclusion to all this? We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Who's your helper? The Lord is your helper. Who's my helper? The Lord is my helper. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So now let's put it all together in context. Let's read again from Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Well, man can do a lot to you. You know, we've seen places in our country where people have been killed um, over somebody else's fit. You know, I mean, man can do a lot to you, but they can't separate you from God. So whether you have an hour left in this life or whether you have decades left in this life, man can't separate you from Jesus Christ. Who's the one that knocks on the stands at the door, knocks and is, is waiting to be invited in? It's Jesus. What will he do if you open the door to invite him in? He'll come in and share the intimacy of life with you. So you'll find your comfort in Christ and you'll be able to say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He can't take my faith. He can't separate me from Jesus. Man cannot keep me from spending eternity with God in heaven. You are going to face difficulties. Um, That's become a little more clear to our um, modern-day American existence lately. The Hebrew Christians, to whom this book of the Bible is addressed, they faced difficulties. They faced heartache and trials and suffering. They were being severely persecuted at the time this letter was written. Um, For their faith in Jesus Christ, they were ostracized from their family. They were cast out of commerce. 
all the skilled labor back then belonged to a guild. And you had to have membership in that guild to get work. And if you didn't deny Christ, they'd kick you out of the guild. There goes your livelihood. Some people lost their livelihood, their ability to put food on the table. They lost the love and fellowship of their own extended families. It's not going to be for us all honey and no bees. We don't know this new day. We could find out that it's great. Um, It could be horrendous. We don't know. But you can stand on the promises of the Word of God and say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Alexander McLaren was a Scottish preacher born in 1826. He spent part of his childhood on a farm outside of Glasgow, Scotland. At 16 years of age, he had a job away from home for the first time. It was about eight miles from the family farm in Glasgow. He didn't have a horse to ride. It was too far to make the round trip every day, so the decision was made for him to stay in town during the week and work, and, but his parents wanted him to come home on Friday evening. Now, most of the journey between Glasgow and his family farm was a pleasant, beautiful, easy trip. Um, But there was one difficult stretch. There was one deep, wooded, dark, foreboding ravine to cross. And people had been assaulted and robbed down there um, among the darkness and the trees in the bottom of the ravine. Alexander didn't want to have to cross through there on a dark evening, like coming home on Friday evening. So he told his parents that he would be tired from a week's work and he could rest Friday night and make the journey on Saturday morning. But his father insisted his parents would miss him come home Friday evening. So Alexander started home that first Friday evening of working in town. Knowing the ravine approached, he began to become more and more apprehensive. He talked to an imaginary companion trying to calm his nerves. He arrived at the edge of the ravine and stopped, not wanting to enter the deep, dark valley by himself. Then he heard noises from within the gloom. A person approached. He was so frozen with fear, he said later he couldn't move. And the man, as he drew nearer, Alexander recognized he saw his father who had arrived to escort him the rest of the way home. Oh, how his spirits lifted. He felt confident and protected now and without fear made the rest of the journey home by his father's side. Uh, If you look forward into dark and foreboding places, Know that God is there and know that your Father is with you and comes to be by your side to lead you the rest of the way. And let us be able to say, Jesus Christ is my anchor. Jesus Christ is my anchor. 
We don't know what the future holds. How do you face a new day, the future, without fear? You find your contentment in Christ. You find your companionship in Christ. You find your confidence in Christ. You find your comfort in Christ's protection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your invitation to us is to open the door and invite you in and you will come in. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your watch care, for your grace and your mercy and your salvation. Thank you that you are ever active and alive, that you choose to be for us and that all we have to do is is to let you in. And your promise, without exception, is that you will come in and share the intimacy of life with us. And so, Jesus, we pray that you come, pour your Holy Spirit out upon the church, upon us, and let us enter this time of change and unknown, and let us know that you, God, walk with us. And we don't have to be afraid. Let us be confident and content in your perfect provision for all our needs in this life and for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.